HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze, and we're here with the second installment of our Old School, New School series. Last week, we talked to a couple of producers of cow's milk cheeses in the U.S., and today we'll be talking to two goat cheese makers and getting their input about the state of artisanal American cheese making, both past and present. Representing one of the pioneers of artisanal farmstead goat cheese making is Judy Shad of Capriole Goat Cheese, who's on the line from Greenville, Indiana. How are you today, Judy? Great, and how are you? I'm fantastic. We also have Michael Lee on the line. He is the owner and head cheese maker at Twig Farm in West Cornwall, Vermont, and he will be representing the burgeoning generation of youthful goat cheese makers. Thanks for chatting with us today, Michael, and how are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. It's good to have you. So here's a question I have for both of you to start off, um, and it's simple. It's why goats? And uh, Judy, I'm going to ask you to field that one first. Why did you start making goat cheese? You're making me laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, I've asked myself that question, why goats, many times, and I never really came up with a wonderful answer except that I like them. <laughs> and um, I liked the cheese because uh, the, the disadvantages are many. I think you have to really love the animal. You have to love the milk they produce, and you have to love the cheeses that you make from that milk in order to, uh, in order to do it because it's, it's not easy. So I fell into it, um, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago as a 4-H project for my children, and uh, pretty soon goats multiply very quickly, tend yeah. to have twins and triplets and so i'm swimming in milk and i've got you know city kids because we've moved to the country from the city who don't want to drink the milk no matter how you disguise it and um and i discovered uh you know french cheeses and then um cheeses from uh letty kilmoyer at westfield farm and i fell in love and i thought well this is why 
there's goat milk. So you were a you you met uh, Letty. You you went to the Westfield Farms to, to purchase cheese, or do you you met her at a? How did you come to meet to meet Miss Kilmoyer? Well, first I met Ricky Carroll, the of mother course. of us all, who yeah. wrote her little cheese making made easy book, which we all learned to make cheese from in our yeah. kitchens. And myself Let, she had introduced me to Letty and several others, and so I wanted to taste these cheeses, which were, of course, so much better than mine because I knew nothing. <laughs> and um, and that was how it all began, and Letty let me come and spend some time with her and make cheese. And so I decided I could do this, and... Interestingly enough, I I know um, I know the Kilmoyers myself. I think uh, I visited that farm because it's it's very very close to where I grew up when I was about ten years old. And I'm pretty sure I served them ice cream at the store that I worked at, which was the first job I've ever worked. Um, but that was a long long time ago. So I guess I'm old school too. Or, or, uh, or <laughs> oh, I'm maybe. so glad someone is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael, I wanted to ask you the same question: What? Why goats? Why were you drawn to making goat's milk cheese? Um, gosh, um, I think I'll call a little bit of echoing of um, what uh, Judy just said. It's, uh, uh, I like them. Um, I think I wouldn't be still doing it 10 years later if I, I didn't like them. Absolutely. Um, but um, the reason why I think um, kind of is uh, framed by a decision that I, I wanted to farm, and I wanted to farm in a particular place in Vermont where it seemed to me... Um, there were a lot of farms around that were milking cows and doing it pretty well. And in some ways, they had spoken for most of the best um, agricultural land. And the land that I had was um, uh, very ledgy and um, not uh, not exactly um, suitable for, for cows. It could have worked with sheep, but I'd had experience working with sheep, and I think I'd had enough experience working with sheep. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and uh, and so I, I, you know, I said, well, uh, let's check out goats, and uh, I've enjoyed goats. They're, uh, I like the scale that they are. Um, working with them, relate to them very much as a person to an animal. I don't know. I I enjoy that, and um, and I love the cheese that you can make with their milk. But both of you guys have said the same thing. So why, why, if I can follow up, why why do you like goats so much? What what in goats? Do you see, I guess, in yourselves? <laughs> Judy. They're interesting personalities, aren't they? <laughs> well, they um, are in my, in my experience meeting them, but I want to ask you, Judy, <laughs> and, uh, why, why, why are you guys like goats? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if you let them, they would sit in your lap, for really? one thing. Um, they'd, you know, eat at the dining room table with you <laughs> or stand on top of it. Um, and I, I, I do believe that for people who don't come from a firm farm background, um, you know, where you probably wouldn't do anything that silly, uh, it, they are just charming. And the personalities are so individual, and they're, um, they're your friends. Uh, they're easy to bond with, unlike sheep. I'm sure you'd probably echo that, too, correct? Michael, is that yeah, true? Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, easy to bond with. They're, they're the most personable of uh, livestock that I've, you know, I've ever had the pleasure to work with, and that's, you know, that's a good. And at times, it's a complicating factor, um, you know, because it's, 
you know, you are still a farmer and you still have to make uh, decisions about them uh, based on more than just your feelings. Uh, yeah, but, absolutely. Um, well, that, there's that. I mean, and obviously you, you, you mentioned that you, you enjoyed the scale. Um, is, that, is that something that you consider the amount of milk and the amount of uh, animals that you would have to handle? Um, well, I was thinking more of the actual the scale of a goat being, you know, a, a you know a, a mature uh, milk. Our mature milking goats are about 130 pounds. Which, uh-huh. um, is um, you know, it's it's a size I can relate to. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm larger than that, but my wife's not. So, sure. um, you know, it's it's just it's uh, that I guess, and the fact that um, you have to um, you have to be gentle in a way with them because they. Um, you could overwhelm them in, in a way that you couldn't with a cow, for instance. Um, you could scare the body, them, you know. So, I think um, you know that it uh, it provokes uh, a um, a different response in me. I guess is that the same for you, Judy? Yeah, I I think um, they they have very long memories, and um, if they're not treated if they're not treated well, they uh, they remember. Um, you know, we've had people, we had people here off and on who we let go for that reason because we, they, the personalities did not mesh. Didn't mesh with the animals. With the animals at all. They were, um, you, you know, they did try to treat them, I, I suppose, that they'd worked on dairy farms and they'd worked with cows, which were a little harder to move and handle, um, sometimes they, you know, ghosts just don't respond to that. And they do respond, uh, most of them do respond to gentleness, but I think all of us who have had them would, would find that that we select those, and we select animals on that basis too. You know, we tend to have animals in our herds. Uh, we, we keep those offspring whose mothers um, you know, work well in that kind of an environment. They uh, they are hard. I, I had a friend one time who had said they who had had goats forever, and she said in some ways goats goats are their worst enemies because they're it's it's very hard to make decisions on who stays and who goes right. because you love them all, well, and that's difficult. Well, also, um, I was uh, wanted to go to the to the nuts and bolts of what you do. Are are, are both of you are um, are are breed specific. I know Michael, you have um, you have Alpine goats and you have a couple of Sanans and a Nubian. Is that it? Well, that... I, I I used to. Um, they're pretty much. I've just got Alpines at this point. Uh, there's I guess there's one Sanan cross left, and uh, you know she's about eight years old. Um, so uh, she's probably not going to be with us that much longer. Um, but the rest are Alpines. And um, are those? Did you choose those goats, or do they 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 give you a particular? They they work with the terrain well, and and they help you make the kind of cheese you like to make. You know, I'd like to say that those you know those sound like great reasons, um, but uh, <laughs> the first and foremost reason was probably aesthetics. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I was looking. I said, I want brown goats, and well, Judy, you have the please. same type of uh, you have this you have the same mix, right? You have the, the yes. Yeah, we started with an alpine herd, and, you know, the children showed them, and I fell in love with them. And then, of course, I, I'm the same. We call those brown ones chamoise. Okay. And, um, and they're the most French, don't you think, of all the goats? Yeah. Um, you know, I love those, um, those brown goats with the black dorsal stripes. But I think beyond that, um, I found them to be the hardiest. 
of the breeds. They're a little more aggressive um, than some of the other breeds, and they yeah. tend to be, if you have 10, 11-year-old animals in your herd, uh-huh. they're usually going to be alpines. Right. They're the, they're the toughest. They can tough it out that they're long. They're tough, yes. Well, that's interesting because I, I find that as, as a purchaser of your cheese a long time, um, you make a, cheeses um, that remind me a lot of uh, of some French cheeses that I bought. And so your, your goats are French, and uh, your cheeses are, to me, obviously, as well. Gee, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also very distinctly yours. Um, but I was wondering if, um, you know, if when you began, uh, because I know you you work in a you work in a different spot than uh, than Michael is. You 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 drop down into um, you know in, into you know thirty minutes from Louisville, Kentucky, and to a place that mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure maybe had those type mm-hmm. of cheeses around before. Um, right. And you've stuck with the same type of cheese. Um, you know your recipes are. are are known and and uh, your cheeses are known. I was wondering if that was what kind of what led you to make that that decision. Um, well, you, you know the terrain thing is an interesting question. We live in an area called Kentuckyana, which really means yes. nowhere. Uh, okay, <laughs> it, it, we're not really Kentucky. We kind of fell off the end of the state in Indiana, but it's it's very similar kind of terrain. It's uh, limestone. It's rocky. It's hill country. Uh, in the hills above the river, and uh, except for the weather, <laughs> which is, you know, tends to be not quite as cold as uh, in the wintertime, it, it is, um, it's very similar, and okay. it's kind of bourbon country. Well, uh, yeah. you, you know, it's that limestone thing, water's important here. But um, I, I think that those were the cheeses that um, I'm passionate about. Those were the cheeses, those ripened uh, goats were the ones that I fell in love those with. Those are the ones that you and like. I love them. I don't make anything. Well, I do make a few things I'm not crazy about. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I love those. I call them the girls. The girls. Uh, because I think they're lady cheeses. Oh. And they're delicate, and they just rock my world. Well, nice. Getting your world rocked is great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael, you make a very different type of cheese than Judy does. And uh, what inspired you to make the kinds of cheese that you make in Vermont? Um, there were other well, couple of uh, things, I guess, that you could say inspired or pointed me in that direction. One, um, I just, I had a desire, and it's not an ideological desire. It was just, uh, just, uh, just a desire to make raw milk cheeses. And um, it seemed not very feasible to make a um, lactic mold-ripened cheese uh, out of raw milk and sell it commercially. Uh, so I kind of... I can uh, understand that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I just kind of started... I, I was working at a cheese shop, um, and um, and I kind of just explored all of the possibilities, and I kind of um, really enjoyed some of the goat's milk and mixed milk and uh, cheeses from both Piedmont and, and Savoie. And, yes. I, um, uh, sorry. And that's kind of, that's where the inspiration came from. And I said, I think I can make cheeses like that with goat's milk. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I set out to do. That was when you were at Formaggio? In, yeah, yeah, and you were eating uh, Persier and things like that. Um, pers- um, where I always yeah, thought that's Persier, what the t- uh, and Persier de Teen and, yeah, and then um, just all the sort of little uh, obscure um, uh, Tomas from Piedmont as well. It's just um, you know those you know those things. Um, you know, I looked into how you make how you would make Persier de Teen, and I said, "Geez, 
I don't think I could do that because I'd have to make cheese every day. And yes, you would. Be me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you would. You know, so I said, well, I'll I'll see if there's some you know some other cheeses. And so you know, I just kind of dug around and dug around, and and then when I got access to milk, I just kind of played with it. Now, Judy, um, you know, you you guys, um, you switched from uh, from raw to uh, to pasteurized. Right. Um, right. And now, why did, why exactly did you do that? What what mm-hmm. made you switch um, switch? Well, uh, you know, I was just as passionate about the raw milk cheese. Of course, uh, of course. At that point, too, but I wasn't I wasn't doing the style of aged cheeses that 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 you're doing at Twig. Um, mine, uh, you know, one of the huge issues with goat milk, and I don't want to belabor this point, is that it takes six or seven times the amount of animals to get the same amount of milk you're getting out of, out of a cow. Sure. Which is, you know, explains the expense of those cheeses, but it also exp- explains the expense of the production of those cheeses as well. And so we wanted a higher moisture cheese, and those are... Um, <laughs> Those are a little more finicky in terms of safety issues. So for 10 and 12 years, we did make them from raw milk. And, uh, and then I think it was a number of things. I became more and more concerned about the safety factors. And we did more and more testing. And it got to the point where we were testing for, you know, every batch for everything all the time. And That's we a lot of work. And, well, it was a lot of work, and with and you know it was lab work, so that became that contributed to the expense of the cheese. So, My, Michael, do you have that same thing that goes on? Do you have to do, do you, because you make only raw milk cheese? Do you uh, do you find that you have to to test all the time? We we test uh, frequently. We don't test every batch for everything, um, but we do we do have a regular testing program, and it does it definitely adds up uh, to the adds to the expense of the cheese. You know. It's, um, a, a battery of tests on any one batch of milk is going to be uh, at least thirty dollars. And sure. if the size of the uh, batch is about uh, thirty pieces of cheese, well, that's another dollar for each piece of cheese. Judy, what? Uh, when? When exactly did you decide to switch from uh, from uh, raw to pasteurized? Uh, we did this about two years ago, and that was also at the time uh, when there were, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, scrutiny. Um, on these cheeses, and we felt, uh, I think that one of the biggest factors, Michael, is that your cheeses are hard cheeses, sure. yeah. and, um, part, and yeah. ours have a pretty high moisture content. I, what, what sort of yields, for instance, what percentage um, milk to, to cheese do you oh, get? What kind of cheese? yield am I getting? Right now, they're on pasture, and it is, uh, it's awful. Uh, green cheese, I think we're, we're lucky if we get 11%. Yeah. That's low. And so our percentage would be a little bit higher on ours. And, you know, they, um, ours kind of stay softer and get, uh, get a little runny. They're, they're a hybrid. They're, they don't really fit in any real category. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, but that's, that, that yield for ours is, you know, we'll lose another 25 to 28% in the aging process on, right, on our cheeses. Right, right. So. So that's big, and and I think when you're dealing with a milk that is expensive to produce, at the time we we sort of started doing that to absorb the spring milk supply beyond the fresh cheeses. When the flush came in, that was when we were making a lot of our aged cheeses, right? Absolutely, that's those are those are extremely um, extremely interesting points. I think it's uh, I think 
you know, it, it's interesting to me for me to note them. I, I wonder, Michael, if you'll ever if you'll ever get to a point where you feel you need to to pasteurize. I mean, I I find that I find that whole thing to be quite interesting. That's yeah, I, I mean, uh, I don't think you know if I continue making the cheeses that I'm making, I would feel compelled to pasteurize based on our scale and what I the amount of testing I do and what I find in our milk now. Um, I think it would probably be a regulatory um, directive that would that would force me to pasteurize, and then I would probably rethink like the whole the whole operation um, because um, it it would change the possibilities for the kind of cheese I would make if I were pasteurizing. Um, Absolutely, I think that's that's really a valid point, and I think moisture content is um, a huge. Don't you think it's a huge issue as far as safety is concerned? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, there's there are raw milk cheeses with with moisture contents that you know that yeah they they get them to sixty days, but I, I get a little I get a little sketched out about it. Yeah, <laughs> would, of course. I prefer some of these cheeses were sold younger. You know, it's just um, what happens with that moisture content over an extended period of time at um, cool temperatures is um, you know uh, well it's not anybody's guess they've seen. Well, <laughs> it's not necessarily a good thing. Well, guys, we're going to have to take a short break, but um, I think it's great that you guys are, uh, are so engaged with each other about uh, the cheesemaking process. So we'll be right back and uh, continue our, our talk. Thanks so much. to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow, with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. 
For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to our old school, new school discussion of uh, artisanal goat meat, goat cheese makers. We're here with uh, Judy Shad and Michael Lee of uh, Capriole and uh, Twig, respectively. I felt bad interrupting you guys, and I think it's fantastic that you were talking, and I just sort of got lost in listening to what you were you were saying. And um, I wanted to tell you that that led me directly into my next question for for both of you, and um, that was, um, and I'll start with you, Judy. Um, a sense of uh, a sense of uh, of community amongst uh, amongst cheesemakers. I wonder when you started to do this, um, what was the community of people that you were around that made the cheese, and how did how did you find the communication between cheesemakers? You know, was was the your mentor um, willing to give up the information you wanted? How did you get started, and what was your community like back then? Well, I think um, people have always been very. Pri- there are no secrets. Really, I mean, um, you know, there's only so many recipes that <laughs> basic recipes, and we all give it our own treatment. But um, so, from from some points of view, we shared a lot of information. But there were other things um, that we, you know, there was always a line you didn't cross. But what I line think, was that? Well, for instance, um, when I went to work with Letty. Uh, what we made was basic, fresh, the fresh white stuff that everybody thinks of as goat cheese. You know, there's millions of them, but they say, I want the goat cheese. That's what they mean. Um, I think that that was, she was more than willing to share, and that was the basis of everything else they did. So that was the critical one. But, um, but no, we didn't talk about her blue cheeses. We didn't talk about some of the other things they did. Those were um, those were theirs, and and there was a lot of respect among cheesemakers for that. I think maybe a bit more respect than now. Really, when um, simply because there's so many more people in the marketplace, so there's bound to be more duplication, bound to be more um, <laughs> you know things that are very similar, but. Um, but we were very careful not to not to cross those lines of what was rather proprietary. And yet, when we had problems, there was no community to go to. Right. Um, there, you know, there were no schools. There were no experts. Right. We had each other, and that was. Uh, and I think that formed that initial sense of community among cheesemakers that we had far more in common. Then and the real battle was not among each other. <laughs> you well, know, no. the the battle was to get those early goat cheeses into the marketplace. Have people have some kind of understanding of of an yeah. acceptance. Of you were what you were banded work. together um, and fighting against. Um, you know, I guess we're well, not fighting against or fighting for uh, people right. to people right. to fighting for an awareness yeah. of those cheeses. In, in the American marketplace particularly, because there was, you know, there were a lot of people initially who wouldn't even taste anything made from goat milk. So yeah. There still are, unfortunately. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where these people bad. come from, but they're you out know. there because I, I had to retail our deal with them all the time. It's kind of crazy. Um, but Michael, do you, um, do you find that um, you're... I mean, do you find it's it's shifted that now that there are many many makers and uh, and there are a lot of a lot of duplicates? How did you how did you start out? Were you were you by your, you said you were by your by yourself or you were exploring uh, cheese styles by by yourself? Who was your mentor for a cheesemaker? I didn't, 
I didn't learn to make teas on my own. Um, I, I had the pleasure of working with Ann and Bob Works, uh, who had uh, Peaked Mountain Farm down yes. in Mont, and uh, they're now retired. And uh, there's actually a nice couple that uh, went to school right right around here is picked up at Big Picture Farm down there. And they've got goats and make caramels and making are making cheese. Now I like goats, no caramels. <laughs> yeah, um, but, so the, uh, Anne Worth was, uh, she was uh, very generous. She was, um, I think I made cheese with her four times, and she said, I think you've got the hang of it. Why don't you just make it next Go time? Go do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. No? <laughs> anybody that works with me. Um, but um, but it, it was very generous of her, and I learned very, uh, I had to learn very quickly. Um, uh, and... As far as um, duplication of styles, uh, when we started here, we had already met um, Hannah Sessions and Greg Bernhardt, who had started Blue Ledge Farm, which is about yeah. seven miles from here. And a uh, funny thing, Hannah's coming over to pick up some boxes this afternoon. Um, but Put her on the line, man. We'll talk to her. <laughs> if, I, if, if, I see, if I see her drive in, I will. Um, she, um, I, I called them and said, hey, um, my wife and I are going to be moving to uh, to, to the area, and we're and uh, going to start a farm and going to make uh, goat cheese. And uh, but we're not going to make uh, fresh cheese, and we're not going to make uh, mold ripened cheese, which is what they were concentrating on. And they were, you know, they were a little wary at first, which I can understand. But um, sure. um, they were also kind of supportive in a funny way, and um, and that you know. Well, I find just the cheese making, cheese mongering community that that sums it up for me. Like cautiously supportive. Sometimes I feel like we all are of uh, of each other. I don't know why that that just struck a chord, a chord with yeah. me. You know, I do. You, can I ask you a, a point of question? Do you feel that there are um, sometimes, and I don't, I don't think I have an opinion on this one way or another. But do you think that there are many, many cheesemakers? Sometimes too many cheesemakers, or can there never be enough cheesemakers in the news? No, school? I think there's never enough cheesemakers. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that's great. Do you agree, Michael? I agree. I think, I think when the, I think I, the first time I met you was at Slow uh, Judy was at Slow Cheese in, in uh, Bra, and it was like two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, something like that. yeah. And and that was to me such a revelation. Like the density of of cheesemakers from just from Piedmont. I was thinking, how large is Piedmont? How many hundreds of people make cheese here? My God! <laughs> As a, a veteran of Bra, I can attest to that. And then last year it was so big, I I actually couldn't get down some streets in there. Uh, oh my God! You know, I I do remember Michael. I remember meeting you there, and and it that was one of the amazing places that for such a big world it's also such a small one and you could go around the corner and and um uh you know there there were the guys from Neil's yard and you said hello just as you were walking down the street and then you, you went down a little bit further and there was an Irish cheesemaker and then there were the french guys that you'd met and blah 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 and so it was um it's still in some ways a very small world, and I think there's a really strong sense of community. I still, when I have a real a real question, I still call Allison at Vermont Butter and Cheese, or I call Mary at Cypress Grove. You call or, your people, you know. You, we call our people, <laughs> and and they call us. That's so fantastic. I think. Uh, not quite so much uh, <laughs> as we used to, but you know, when we began, I I don't know how Michael feels about it, but I always felt like it was kind of just cooking, you know. Uh, Do you I feel mean, that it way? Was, 
It was yeah, like I what mean, you did in your kitchen. I mean, it was. It's still here, very much hands-on, touchy-feely. Smell it, taste it, look at it. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I touch just, it. I had a, a fella uh, come uh, in this morning. He came and he, he shadowed me from uh, about five fifteen until about ten thirty, and so. I, I was reminded because he was taking pictures the whole time for this Instagram thing for Smithsonian. This that, Instagram thing, I like. That. Instagram, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I had to ask him how it works. Oh um, man, how's that for new school? That's right? not very uh, new school of you, man. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it reminded me of just you know he's like so how do you, you know he's just asking questions like well and he mentioned the idiosyncratic way I seem to be going about doing things. And I was like, well, I do all of these things just so I can get it the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. And, it, you know, and that's, you know, it's just the way, you know, it's like, it is kind of like cooking. You're trying to come up with this thing, and, you, and you've, got to, you've got to respond to what's happening in front of you. And um, I don't know. You yeah, absolutely, yeah. you know, you can't, uh, your egg whites are going to behave differently in your meringue if it's humid outside or if it's not humid. I mean, the same things apply in so many ways to the cheese. And I think one of the huge things with goat milk was because of, you know, because those weren't traditional cheeses in the U.S., and they were in Europe, um, we used to talk about the fact that in France, for instance, they knew exactly when the milk was going to change, and they knew what to do to adjust their cheese making to the differences in the milk. And we had to learn that, you know, over a period of time. We threw so much cheese away. Well, in the way, in a certain way, I guess um, all of us here in America are a little uh, are a little new school. Even the uh, even the old school amongst us. Exactly, it, but it just didn't take us six hundred years. No, well, we're you know we're Americans. We try to get things done yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> Look, I I got one more question for you guys because we're going to have to go in a second. And I wish I had like a lot more. You know, I wish I had like a. I I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, um, and now my question is. Um, what is the what is the future uh, for for both of you and your operations? I asked this to uh, Franklin Peluso and to Jos Volto. Um, is there a difference between um, the old school and the new school? Um, and sp- as far as family goes, Judy, what what what's going to happen when when you, God forbid you don't you don't make the cheese over there anymore? What's what? How who's going to do it for you? Oh, good God! You know, Letty asked me this fifteen, twenty years ago. Okay, you got yourself into this. Now, how are you going to get out? <laughs> and and uh, and I still really don't have an answer. But what I do have here are um, a core of wonderful uh, all guys, about four of them that I work with, and um, and and increasingly, it's becoming their thing. They're passionate about it. They. They think about the cheese first. They know that I'm a perfectionist, and they hopefully are, too, and you have to be with these very fragile cheeses. They love it. So I'm hoping that, you know, they become the new the they new, become the new. I won't go on for – I'll go on until I have to crawl over there. But uh, <laughs> Franklin said the same thing to me. It was interesting. Um, did he? Yeah, he did. And, uh, and Yos um, – Yos um, said something different to me, but, but Franklin said almost the same thing as you. Um, he, he was, uh, his son was set up to take, a, to, to take over, but it sounds like you have a surrogate family of, of dudes, you said, that are... Uh, that are dudes. <laughs> I love the dudes. Love the dudes. <laughs> and, um, and Michael, what about you? Uh, who's going to... Uh, how, how, who, how, what's, the, what's the long view for the twig farm? Is it any different from Judy's? Um, 
Well, ah, geez, uh, the long view is, um, gosh, I, it's very hazy, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the, the it's very hazy. Trees in the way. Um, um, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep at this for as long as I enjoy it. And then if there's, I know if my son wants to, well, he's welcome to, but he hasn't really shown much interest. He's only eight, so it's not likely he would show much interest. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just kind of keep going. I'm planting a bunch of apple trees, and, uh, oh, those take a long time to mature. And, yeah, they you know, do. Uh, you know, I'll be here. <laughs> well, I wanted to say, you know, thank you to both of you guys uh, for coming on and uh, being a part of this uh, this little series. Um, you know, I feel like we learned uh, we learned three things today. Um, that we learned one that goat cheese makers really like goats, <laughs> and uh, we also learned that there can never be enough cheese makers ever, which I think is a cool thing. And uh, what I personally learned is that even though the old school and the new school um, are different, they operate by the same principles, and um, that's fantastic. And we like each other. Yeah, I think that's great. (laughs) So thank you so much, and uh, thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of Cutting the Curd live on the Heritage Radio Network, and we'll be back next week with more. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.